This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Dopes to Infinity by Monster Magnet. I certainly found myself wanting to skip past. To be honest, I wanted to like this record more. It definitely makes me want to go check out some of the other records. His vocal is so strong on so many parts of the record. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode number 143. We're almost into the home stretch of season three podcast. And it's the fall, and as we've previously mentioned, there's a lot of new releases coming out. So we're doing another uh, new release uh, related episode. And soon coming up, we're going to get to one of yours, Jay. I promise. I know you're, you're hankering to get to one of yours. But. Uh, this week it's Monster Magnet. So Jay, uh, Monster Magnet, you familiar? Sure. Big fan, little fan. Um, I would. I'll just say familiar. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say big or little. Does it begin and end with Space Lord? <laughs> uh, no, they had a couple songs on the radio. Um, Space Lord, Space Lord. I remember Power Chip. I remember, and I even remember. Negasonic Teenage Warrior, or Warhead, being yes. on the radio. This, that's the song from the album that we're going to review. It's their, I believe it's like their third album. Yes, uh, Dopes to Infinity from 1995. That's the album we're going to review. They have a new album out this fall. It's called Last Patrol. And uh, we thought, what a perfect time to revisit some Monster Magnet. Now... I like you. I basically heard a couple singles. Um, I think I heard Space Lord first, which was on their 1998 album, Power Trip. And then I kind of went back and heard Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Um, I don't remember them getting a lot of play you know, on the radio stations that I listened to. I remember the video for Space Lord and it getting played a ton. Um, by time by 1998, that's when uh, I'm graduating from college and moving to Columbus. So it was CD 101 probably. And uh, what was the what was the uh, I don't know if it's still around the metal station. Uh, is it 97X or 99.7 Blitz or something like that? There you go. There you go yeah. Yeah. In Columbus. Yeah, Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. The Blitz. The Blitz. I, I bet it was the Blitz that was playing Space Lord. Up the wazoo, uh, back in ninety eight, ninety nine, because this came out in or that came out in June of uh, ninety eight. So, but we're not here to talk about that album. We're here to talk about uh, Dopes to Infinity, their third record, and uh, actually, probably now is a good time to do some history of the band. History of the band. So, Monster Magnet formed. Uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey, which uh, anybody who's a fan of Kevin Smith is going to be familiar with the city of Red Bank, New Jersey, in 1989 by original guitarist uh, and vocalist Dave Windorf, along with uh, John McBain on guitar, Tim Cronin on vocals and drums. Uh, they had a several different names, Dogs of Mystery, Airport 75, King Fuzz, before they finally uh, settled on Monster Magnet, in 89, they released a couple of demo cassettes. Uh, they were later released a, uh, an EP, self-titled EP on Glitterhouse Records, a German record label. 
1990, the band signed with Caroline Records, and they released a single. The original, uh, original vocal guitar or vocal and drummer uh, Tim Cronin left the band at that point, and uh, I didn't write down who he was replaced by, but somebody replaced him. <laughs> somebody played drums after him, I'm sure. Uh, in '91, they released their first full-length album, *Spine of God*. They toured with Soundgarden, and then that helped them get a contract with Soundgarden's label, A&M Records. They released one additional EP through Caroline. And in 1993, on A&M, they released Super Judge, their second album. 1995, previously mentioned, the album that we're reviewing, Dopes to Infinity. The single, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, did get some video play on MTV. After that tour, uh, Dave Windorf moved to Las Vegas, Nevada to start working on the band's next album, which would be Power Trip, which would be the band's uh, best-selling record. It was a gold album. And Space Lord, of course, was a huge radio hit. They got them on tours with bands like Aerosmith, Metallica, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson. The album ended up peaking at number 97 on the Billboard 200. They released God Says No in 2000, which peaked at 153 on the Billboard Top 200. Uh, but it did not match the, suge- the um, success of the previous album. Uh, in They left A&M after God Says No. They actually separated for some time, but got back together fairly quickly. Uh, released in 2004, Monolithic Baby on SPV Records. Three years later, Four Way Diablo in November of 2007, also on SPV Records. In 2010, they released Mastermind on Napalm Records. And then, as I mentioned, their newest release, released this October, The Last Patrol on Napalm Records. This is a band that has released a lot of uh, singles and has put songs on a variety of... uh, soundtracks and compilations and done covers for various um, tribute albums including some that you would expect such as uh, Black, Black Sabbath is one and Hawkwind those are names of bands that will be uh, mentioned uh, no doubt when we get to the uh, review of this record so if you would like to suggest a record record uh some digital (laughs) mp3s for us to listen to (laughs) if you want to send us a vinyl album for us to uh throw on the old record player uh you can do so by visiting uh digmeoutpodcast.com and hitting up our request review page that's where you'll find the way to request a review and uh we got some just checking our Facebook page because, of course, we got to check for Facebook feedback. Uh, find out what people thought about this record. And Eric J. Peterson chimed in. He said, great record. It's like an updated Hawkwind Space album. There's that name again. Filtered through punk metal 80s college rock with a shot of Jack Kirby era, Jack Kirby era Marvel comics in the lyrics. Negasonic Teenage Warhead is one of the great songs of the 90s it's the descendant of the stooges search and destroy and the dead boy sonic reducer it's a shame the album was a stronger seller but fans of the late later monster magnet albums 
We'll find this a nice step in the band's growth from a stoner metal band into the more in-your-face hard rock group they have become. Gavin Reed, who uh, recently joined Facebook, says the first couple of tracks on this album completely blow away the hard rock of the time and still make the hair on my arm stand up. Scott Witt, such a great album. Lots of great songs, plus Ego the Living Planet is a great instrumental, and Blow Em Off is the anti-power ballad. Tim James says, my local alternative station didn't play any song singles off this album. I guess the music wasn't alternative enough. I heard these guys on a more commercial rock station. Thing. And then Scott Russell Helgram says, yes, yes, yes. So good. I know they've had stuff since, but I haven't heard it. As of this album, they'd reached their apex. Kind of amazing they were able to craft this given how awful Spine of God was. But they figured out how to direct their marijuana-loving lyrics and riffs into complete into a complete product. I interviewed two of the guys in this band for our college radio station and only remember them, one, being very nice, and two, except for once laughing at one of my questions. Oh, two, except for once laughing at one question. Uh, don't blame them. Our station was only 10 watts. It was gracious to them to talk to me at all. Uh, Scott, we completely and totally sympathize with you for having a station that was only 10 watts. Uh, I don't think the WFAL wattage was much stronger um, at Bowling Green. And in fact, I don't even know that we had wattage because I believe we were broadcast through the cable system on your television set for a period of time. So talk about a week, uh, a week signal. So lots of feedback, Jay, and almost complete and total universal praise of this record. So let me ask you, Dopes to Infinity is... Uh, this one, a, a dope record, or uh, did you get burned out on this quickly? I'll play along with your segue. I think this is a dope record. I kind of wrote, wrote this band off. I always thought of them as being kind of uh, an, unauth- an, an inauthentic version of... A com- uh, the commercial version of Stone or Rock. You know, I thought they were kind of taking things that maybe Caius had done and uh, Corrosion of Conformity and bands like that and, and were, you know, kind of uh, running it through a more radio-friendly filter mm-hmm. and, and you know, neutering it a bit. And I never really got it with the singles. Um, you know, part of that could have just been the songs themselves or could have been, uh, you know, just whenever you hear stuff on the radio over and over again, you know, it has a tendency, at least for me and probably a lot of the people who listen to our podcast to kind of turn you off. Um, when it's jammed on your throat, you know, the way that radio tends to do things. Um, so I never really gave them a shot and, um, I can't say that I really ever spent any time with any of the records. So, um, you know, going in this record, I I wasn't too optimistic that I was going to like this. Um, but I think the thing that surprised me the most about it is, yeah, it has the riffs, you know, kind of has the fuzzed out guitar. Um, it gets into the, you know, the desert stoner rock kind of thing from time to time. It gets a little psychedelic. But the thing that really stood out to me that I didn't really get about this band when I heard the singles and didn't didn't expect was the the the, the um, quality of the melodies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought. There are several um, several verses on here where the melodies are really really well done um, to the point where 
um, a song like uh, King of Mars. If you just tone that down a little bit, that sounds an awful lot like a Foo Fighters song. You know, hmm. the, the way he's singing that and the melodies he's using, it's it's right there with some of their, you know, biggest hit songs. I was really taken by that. Um, I'm really impressed. Every song doesn't have a killer chorus. I will say that. Um, I, I, you know, I love the way the first, the record starts off. I think the first three tracks are great. Um, none of them have a have an amazing chorus, but it's kind of okay. I don't mind it because the songs still feel complete. The melodies uh, and the and the verses are strong enough. Um, you know, they have changes and things, but there's there's enough there to keep you interested um towards the end of the record i felt like the choruses get better you know king of mars i think has a great chorus um uh what's another one i pulled out here um blow them off has a good chorus so you know i I think the end of the record things also get a little bit i think more experimental as the record goes um so at the end there you, you get like um blow them off with which has an acoustic through most of it and it's kind of an interesting i think mix of instruments and approach for them um and then like dead christmas sounds like kind of sounds like smash mouth it has like a very retro 60s vibe it's got like a farfisa in it yeah you know so they they kind of they go off and you know a little bit further away from that comfortable like heavy rock you know fuzzed out guitar sounding and go in other areas which is kind of cool I guess I'll segue to you and just say the thing I didn't like about the record, I, I'm not crazy about about the instrumentals. I don't know. I, I'm sort of on the fringe if it, if it ends up ruining, they end up kind of ruining the record for me or not. But uh, I certainly found myself wanting to skip past those most of the time. Um, how'd those strike you? I didn't mind the first one, which is Ego, the Living Planet. Um, I was I was kind of hoping at some point it would actually turn into a full-fledged song and not just sort of be an instrumental bridge between songs.
it's good enough. It's, and if they had just done that one, I would have been fine with it. But when they do the second one, theme from Master Burner, mm-hmm. then I was like, uh, this is not, this is not uh, a good idea. Yeah. Because I sort of lost interest. And then when it gets to Vertigo, which is this slow, spacey song, and then there's a hidden track. Like basically, the last two tracks to me are are throwaways. Right. Um, and to be honest, I wanted to like this record more, and I wanted because the it's you you said it. It starts out so strong, and where it started to lose me actually was uh, track four, "All Friends and Kingdom Come," because it has like that Eastern thing going on, and I I just kind of felt like it was it's been done. Like, yeah, that, that that song's not a highlight. I, I actually had that and the uh, the instrumental sort of uh, crossed off my list of being pretty forgettable. And I think Ego the Living Planet, you know, it, it recovers a little bit there. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of Blow 'Em Off. I think it's a it's a good change of pace. It makes sense in the, in the record, but it's there's something about his vocal that I don't like in that. Whereas his vocal is so strong on so many parts of the record, uh, like on third alternative, especially. Um, and I just, it sounded tossed off. Like it was, it's very repetitive in the lyrics, sort of predictable. And I, I just kind of like, I cringe when I hear that song. I just kind of, I really don't like yeah. that sound from them. I want to yeah. hear, you know, just punishing heavy riffs. And then, Bouncing between songs like Negasonic Teenage Warhead and um, I Control, I Fly, I really like a lot. It has this Stooges vibe to it. Kind of sounds, has like a TVI uh, kind of guitar riff going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that they're not simply doing slow, sludgy stoner rock, that they're, they're playing in some faster tempos. Um, you know, he's got a really, like you said, he's got a really good ear for melody and... It's clear that they're doing a bit more than say, you know, as much as I like Caius, Caius is never really writing Mm -hmm. catchy hooks or anything like that. It was was about the riffage and about the, the groove and the, you know, doing some weird experiments, experimental stuff here and there. Uh, But Dave Windover has clearly got, you know, chops on the songwriting end of it. This, this proves it. And then also, I guess, you know, obviously we had a huge hit single with uh, Space Lord. Even though, it, listening back to that song, it's so weird that that became a, a huge single for a summer. But yeah, I struggle with this record. I listen to it a lot because I, I want to spend a lot of time with it. It's a, you know, it's got 12 songs and it's a long record. And there's a lot of really good stuff on here that made me appreciate the band more. It makes me want to, I think I've listened to all their records probably once. Just I just went through just to of familiarize myself but it makes me want to revisit them more uh and kind of throw together a a compilation almost of of the stuff that i i like because i think that they do have a best of you know oh they do okay it's one of those weird 20th century uh, century masters best ofs oh okay well i would like to hear that because i get the feeling that this is a band that is not afraid to screw around on their mm-hmm. records. And I don't really necessarily want to hear that. 
Yeah, I think some of that screwing around though gets. I think when it's in the context of a song like "Blow 'Em Off," where it's clearly a different approach for them and trying different instruments, and I think it works pretty damn well. like all friends and kingdom come and that's screwing around that i don't i think neither of us want to hear right and i would also say um you know all these songs are so long and i think one of the things that's difficult about the record is uh just about every song has a sequence you know about two and a half to three minutes in that you know last about a minute and can be taken out so uh i haven't made a note in here i'm trying to find the song but there was a specific song like if you go from at the two minute mark and then skip ahead to the three minute mark you pretty much could cut out that entire minute and not miss anything uh it's a track <laughs> two it's actually track two which i'm betting the single they had to have done an edit of that yeah um, they probably had because it's a four and a half minute long song yeah and it, to be a single in 95 i'm guessing they probably cut some of that yeah some of that out so if you listen to that song and, and at uh, around two minutes you know, think about what happens between there and three minutes, and I pretty much, I'm pretty sure everybody would agree that you could go ahead and cut that out. I mean, if there's one song like that, it's fine, but it's you know, all twelve songs kind of start to follow that formula where you get this really strong verse. Um, you know, you get a pretty cool chorus. There's some very interesting like instrumentation, and just the overall sound of the band is kind of different. Like, at least the mix of the record is, mm-hmm. and then you get to this middle part all the time where they screw around and they try to do a half-ass guitar solo and you know there's this noise and a like not a new riff you know i think if you're going to do the um you're going to do the long sort of a monotonous uh, i don't want to say monotonous but repetitive stoner rock thing you need to use different riffs <laughs> you know if you're going to go to that part you gotta gotta kind of pull a riff out of your back pocket that you know blows some minds otherwise right. don't bother doing anything because you're just wasting time um so there's there's some of that going on which you know over the course of 12 songs starts to wear in you a little bit but uh yeah i don't know i i um i liked it quite a bit and um it definitely makes me want to go check out some of the other records i'm not sure which direction to go i'm feeling like maybe i should go older instead of newer yeah and it's funny that uh, Spine of God got trashed in our comments because it has been referred to as a cult classic in the mm. reviews that I read 
um, while we're researching this record. So I'm curious also to go back and listen to that record. Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, one band that came up twice um, in the comments and it's, it gets mentioned quite a bit uh, was this band is uh, Hawkwind. How familiar are, are you with them? Because I don't really know uh, much. I mean, I only know. I mean, I know Lemmy was in the band. Right. Um, I know that. And I know, um, oh, shoot. What was the single? I mean, they're single. Ginger like Baker one... was in the band, too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, I'm looking at their all music page, and their group members are like, there's like more group members than Dawkins had group members. Um, there's Not like Dawkins, one sorry. song. LA Guns has had group members. <laughs> Dawkins hadn't had, hasn't had that many. LA Guns has had a significant amount. Yeah, Silver Machine is probably the song that I know the best. I don't know much much else about them. Because like the bands that are, are mentioned as being you know an influence for this band are you know Sabbath, uh, the the Stooges, Deep Purple. Okay, I see all those. I, I get yeah. that, but I don't have the familiarity with Hawkwind to know if that's a legitimate comparison or. Uh, I, I know they did a lot of stuff with like. Uh, psychedelic kind of like flangey guitars and i think all the songs tend to be fairly long and that's probably where that's coming from because this this band this record has a lot of um like ambient guitar stuff over top like a guitar mm-hmm. that's just flanged out and making noises and uh, that kind of thing you know that's probably where that comment's coming from at least that's what I've, i th- i think hawkwind is like at least a couple songs that i that i know of are like that do you think that the stoner rock tab or, or, or um, tag is a legitimate one? Because I have a hard time putting this putting that on this band because of when I think of stoner rock, uh, I think of it a little bit more, I guess you'd say, um, drugged out because of the stoner rock aspect of it. Sure. Um, and this band is pretty crisp. Like, they're yeah, on top that's... of it. That's why uh, I always thought of them as kind of being a, you know, in, uh, taking that sound and trying to be more commercial with it. Because, right. it, yes, their approach is, it is very crisp. It's almost too crisp to the point where there's times where I question whether or not it's like, you know, not a drum machine. And it's not like a a, a, a chopped up guitar part. and You know what I mean? It's so... Not as much on this. I mean, you can hear it sometime, from time to time on this record, but I think the record after this, the, like the singles sound, you know, they're very produced and very, you know, open. And, you know, they use acoustic guitars to, and they layer things. And, you know, for the most part, right. Stoner Rock is, you know, one or two fuzzed out guitars and pretty much a band in a, playing in a room kind of, kind of vibe. There's not a lot of, uh, there's usually not a lot of space in that. It's pretty filled up. <laughs> right. That's kind of the idea. So I think there's elements of that that they use. I, I don't think that um, it's not like it's from another planet, but I don't think they are, you know, they are a genuine stoner rock band. I just think they're a, you know, a hard rock band that has some of those elements to them, I suppose. To me, they have more, yeah, like classic rock and not yeah. classic rock in like, boston sound but like you know they're they're to me a band like i don't know priestess has more of a stoner rock sound than this band or or early man or something like that yeah at times i mean those yeah 
those bands um but the, those bands also they, they do play faster and I, I always i guess i think of stone rock as being a little bit more s- slower yeah almost the uh, shoegaze equivalent of metal <laughs> yep that um, I, that's the purest sense of the term the genre but not not sludge metal not like where everything's at like the slowest possible speed or anything like that. No, um, it's a hard genre to sort of nail down because Queens of the Stone Age gets called stoner, and yet I no. don't see Queens I, of the Stone Age is similar to this band to me. Like they take right some of those principles, but they turn them into a, into a, a hard rock, you know, radio, somewhat radio friendly version of, of that. They take it, and then they just take it in other places with instrumentation and melody and songwriting. That you know, that's not the point of stoner rock. You know, I think this band also kind of gets way more psychedelic than any stoner rock band would, in terms of like blatantly using like sitar and you know, weird Eastern or you know, just crazy studio effects. And you know, I I think of stoner rock bands as being. I mean, if Caius is a is a prototype for that then it's a pretty straightforward approach and you know it's it's about tempo and it's about fuzz and um and repetition and, and there are a quite a bit and there are quite a bit of bands or quite a number of bands that are, are doing that i think like a band like high on fire mm-hmm. i think has elements or um uh, what's that one black tusk mm-hmm. i kind of i was into them for a while and sort of lost my interest in them but uh <laughs> i've lost my interest in you well, i have no longer interested but it's a weird it's a hard genre to uh nail down because then a band like fu manchu gets tagged with the stoner rock uh but they, a lot of their stuff is very up-tempo and punkish i think uh yeah i think they have a lot of material that fits the prototype perfectly and they have other stuff where they in certain albums where they push it a little further but uh, you know i would consider them in that genre okay it's a tough genre it's a tough genre <laughs> you know what also is tough jay our rating scale mm. so here we go our rating scale Were the album better ep decent single what do you lay upon dopes to infinity by monster magnet well i've got eight songs so considering you know all of them are over four and a half minutes long. That's an album's worth of material. <laughs> That's a seventies uh, album. That is, you know, an LP. Uh, I'm at six songs, so I'm gonna have to go EP. I'm gonna have a slight disagreement on this one. Not too far off, two by two songs, but uh, yeah. So. That's uh, I'm, with, I'm with the people on this one. You are with the people. I am going against the popular sentiment. I am standing before them for hours on end, arguing that this is not what they need. Laying it out on the line with uh, my oral skills. Okay. Just like Ted Cruz. Anyway, let's <laughs> uh, let's wrap this one up and say. If you like what you heard in this episode, please head on over to our website and you can leave a comment. You can head on to Facebook and the Twitter and the other things that exist out there on the on the interweb. And then, of course, our uh, iTunes page, you can leave us some feedback. 
If I'm wrong or if I'm right, let me know. Uh, if Jay's wrong or he's right, let him know. We appreciate your uh, constructive criticism, as always. Uh, so that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. This is another episode of Dig Me Out in the Books. We'll be back. Uh, I think we're going to be back next week, Jay. Is that true? Yes. Back again next week for the 144th time in a row. We'll be back with another episode of Dig Me Out. Shut me Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah.